the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week's The Interview is brought to you by AndrewandTodd.com. AndrewandTodd.com are the world's best lenders for real estate. They are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. You can call them at 888 And please do, no matter what your lending needs are, AndrewandTodd.com. And now welcome to this new edition of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined now by the former National Security Advisor to the President of the United States, Ambassador Robert C. O'Brien. Good morning, Mr. Ambassador. Thank you for joining me. Hey, good morning, Hugh. Great to be with you. The first and obvious question, would this have happened had President Trump been reelected? Oh, look, it would have never happened uh, in this manner. I mean, the president was committed to, to drawing down troops from Afghanistan, but when he left office, there were 2,500 American troops, importantly 5,000 NATO troops. Kabul was free. Uh, look, domestically on both sides of the aisle, uh, you know, everyone who's honest and will talk to you knows that President Trump would have never presided over a, a situation like this. And that, that goes for our foreign friends and our foes alike. Uh, President Trump is all about peace through strength and America first. And, and I, I don't think anyone in an honest moment, uh, whatever the whatever they're saying now, you know, believes that this could have happened under President Trump and, and the strength that he projected. And, and uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a sad situation for America. Uh, was President Trump always open to changing his decisions based upon facts on the ground as they unfolded? Look, that happened all the time. And, uh, you know, President Trump had a couple of, uh, of signposts for a point out of Afghanistan. Number one was, and he made this clear in the Oval Office to General Milley and others several times, uh, he would not preside over a Saigon-style retreat from Afghanistan. We wanted to draw it down, but uh, you know, a Saigon-style retreat was it was not on the table. That was number one. Uh, number two, before the military left, all the civilians uh, would have had to have been evacuated. Uh, number three, uh, the president was not interested in watching, uh, and he, he saw this happen in Iraq. He saw it happen uh, uh, to some extent in Syria. He was not a, a, interested in it at all seeing our foes driving around in American-made Humvees or, or vehicles or getting access to American weapons. So, they, you know, it was, it was critical that he, retro, he wanted all the equipment retrograded uh, uh, back to America before we left. So th- th- those were some of the conditions. And then, of course, with the Taliban, any attacks on the United States, which they've engaged in uh, with our troops, uh, failure to negotiate in good faith with the, the government uh, of Afghanistan, those would have all been conditions that would have been, you know, uh, slowed down or, or stopped withdrawal. So, you know, this, this wouldn't have happened under the present. But, but what the point is, we're we're here now, and uh, we we've got to pray for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and and the leadership of this country. We've got to get the three to five thousand Americans who are still stuck in in Kabul and other cities like Mazar and and Jalalabad and Herat out of Afghanistan. We've got to uh, evacuate our our friends, the the interpreters and other enablers, the uh, locally employed staff at the embassy. And so we, we, we've got to focus right now on uh, making this evacuation work as bad as things look. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, you used the term three to 5,000 uh, still there. Is that a minimum number or is that a known number or a top number? 
you know, it, it's really unclear at this point. I mean, those are some of the numbers that are being thrown around by the, administ- the current administration on TV. So, I, I, you know, I don't have any access to, to classified briefings that, you know, hopefully they've got a, a pretty good handle on the, on the number of Americans that are in country. But, uh, but those are the numbers that are being mentioned on, uh, on TV and in the open sources. Mr. Ambassador, you served in that corner office for nearly two years as the National Security Advisor. Over the weekend, unnamed sources, I assume they are from the appeasement wing of the Democratic Party, the hard left, want your successor, Jake Sullivan, as fired as sort of a sacrificial lamb. Uh, I believe that's a terrible idea because he's one of the three people that I count on for trying to get information to the president that is coherent. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, I think that's a bad idea. We're we're in the middle of a crisis right now, and there's plenty of time to figure out what went wrong. And 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 Washington will play the blame game on this crisis for for many many years to come. Uh, but but Jake Sullivan gets uh, the China threat, which is the existential threat. We got to keep our eye on the ball at this point. Uh, as bad as the situation is in Afghanistan, the existential threat to our country is China. Uh, Sullivan understands that. He's one of the the moderates, and uh, you know, in the, in the room, he's a smart guy. So let, let's get through this crisis and. And and for the you know the Democrats uh, on the left in Congress that are you know according to the press are calling for Jake's uh, resignation. I think that's uh, that, that's that's bad politics and it's bad for the country. And I think they ought to knock it off and and uh, let Sullivan try and get us through this crisis. Now I want to play for you because now I want to turn to rebuilding American credibility. How low is it sunk? This is Rory Stewart, who you may or may not know, former Defense Minister in the United Kingdom, cut thirty four. provided all the air support for the Afghans. They didn't just take their own planes away. They took away 16,000 civilian contractors who were maintaining the Afghan helicopters. They took them out of the country so those things couldn't even fly. And the morale damage they left in the middle of the night from Bagram. I didn't even tell the commander that they were leaving. The Afghans woke up in the morning, all their planes disabled, the Americans have left, no support of any kind. And you're asking who exactly? Who is President Biden asking to fight? I mean, if you are an Afghan woman teaching in a school in Pulichaki, really? Really? I mean, what are they expecting? A bunch of guys come riding in and pick up trucks with heavy machine guns into your town? You don't want the Taliban in there. You don't support them. But if you're genuinely asking them to put up a suicidal fight when the United States and Britain was not even prepared to keep 2,500 soldiers and some planes in the country with zero casualties, zero risk over the last few years. I mean, this has been an extraordinary betrayal. It's difficult to get the figures, but as far as one can tell, no U.S. serviceman has been killed in Afghanistan for 18 months. No British serviceman for longer than that. This has not been a costly mission since 2014. This was the easiest thing to continue to do for the Afghan people. There was absolutely no reason to do this. To do this, to basically hand them over to the Taliban and then say, it's your fault, you're all a bunch of cowards, when we pulled out and weren't prepared to accept a tiny presence. We have 10 times the number of people who have been in South Korea in the US military for 70 years. Do we think taking them out is going to be smart? Nothing's going to happen if you suddenly take them out? This idea that because you haven't sorted everything in 20 years means you have to just walk away. What are we going to do? Okay, so we haven't sorted North and South Korea in 70 years. Take the troops out. But I mean, it's, it's insanity. Ambassador O'Brien, that is one of the milder critiques that I heard. There have been others. Boris Johnson is scheduled to try and persuade the president later this week to extend the August 31st deadline. Obviously, our closest allies 
Great Britain and Israel have enormous crises of confidence in the United States. What do we do? Well, it's a it's a real problem. I, I know, Rory, I, I worked the Afghan issue in the Bush administration and then to the Obama administration, working on, on the rule of law in Afghanistan, training Afghan judges, lawyers, uh, uh, prosecutors, defense lawyers, uh, across the board, men and women. And uh, and, and I, I knew Rory from those days, and, and he's very passionate about Afghanistan. Uh, I think he's stating a, a argument that many of our European allies are making. I mean, this idea that America is back has been absolutely, the, the legs have been cut out from under that. Uh, first of all, I don't think America ever left. We, we showed more leadership in, in NATO under President Trump than it happened in, in a generation. Uh, you'll, you'll recall, Hugh, that when uh, we went to the NATO summit in, in 2019, uh, there were real concerns about whether NATO was even, NATO was even viable. We convinced the NATO allies uh, to, to pony up $400 billion additional dollars in defense spending to, to deter the Russians and the Chinese. So uh, NATO was under, you know, you know, very, very good leadership. We convinced uh, NATO to put 5,000 troops in Afghanistan when we only had 2,500 there uh, as of the time that we were leaving. So we had a two-to-one burden-sharing uh, deal with NATO at the time the president left office. So, uh, you know, a lot of that credibility has been undermined. Um, and what I, what I worry about is how this affects, we're going beyond Afghanistan, how does it affect our allies in, in Europe and Asia. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party mouthpiece, the Global Times, as you know, came out with an editorial several days ago aimed at Taipei, our friends in Taiwan, and they said, this is your future. And they had, they had photos of what was happening in, in Kabul around the airport in downtown Kabul. And they said, this is this is America. It'll abandon you. When we eventually invade, uh, America will not come to your assistance. You'll have to surrender to us, and you'll be... Uh, left alone in your time of need. And uh, obviously that's psychological warfare aimed at, at the Taiwanese. But, you know, that, that's the sort of blow to American credibility that we've taken as, as a result of the, the botched manner in which this, this withdrawal has taken place. Oh, Mr. Ambassador, what worries me the most, I want to get to some specific concrete steps. I know that you and, and, and Director Ratcliffe have outlined some specific steps in foreign policy. But Andrea Mitchell, who is no, uh, no Republican, uh, Andrea has been doing the longtime national security reporting for decades, said this on Meet the Press to Chuck Todd yesterday. I just want to play the beginning of her clip. It goes on to expand, but I want your time is short. Cut number 21. Have some... Because they thought they could, they, they could talk him out of it. They thought they could talk him out of it. She is referring to the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, Jake Sullivan, and General Milley. They thought they could talk him out of it. Joe Biden is apparently not taking any advice from anyone. Is there anyone that you know of that can influence the president to change his mind on August 31st? Well, certainly the uh, the first lady uh, uh, seems to have tremendous uh, influence. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that it's just from watching from the outside, but Dr. Jill Biden seems to have uh, a lot of influence with the president. Uh, uh, hopefully he's reevaluating the, the situation as he watches what's unfolding. But I'll tell you what, what can't happen. We can't uh, pull out on August 31st and, and leave thousands of Americans citizens behind. I mean, they'll be taken hostage. Uh, many could be killed. Uh, we can't leave our Afghan enablers and interpreters and, and, and locally employed staff at the embassy behind uh, as of that date. And I just don't see any way, even with the new civilian air fleet, uh, the reserve fleet uh, mobilized, I don't see how you can do the evacuation of, of these folks uh, uh, between now and August 31st. It's going to have to be expanded and there are a lot of ideas about what can be done. We could, you know, certainly present the Taliban with an ultimatum and take back Bagram and, and increase uh, the pace of the evacuation by using Bagram Air Base. Uh, we could certainly expand the perimeter around the uh, uh, 
the, the airport, the Karzai Airport in uh, Kabul. Uh, and then some of our allies are running missions. Uh, we're seeing the French and the British run missions into Kabul with their, their special forces, their paratroopers, and their and the French with their uh, their hostage recovery team going in and pulling French citizens and British subjects out of Kabul. It's unclear whether we're doing that or not. Uh, looks like most of our folks are staying behind the wire. So uh, we've got some some highly trained Marines and, and airborne elements that they can go into Kabul and, and rescue our folks. So we need to start thinking about how we how we, we, we salvage what's happened here with the, an evacuation that, that allows our American citizens to get home without uh, being molested further and and allows our friends, our Afghan friends, who we want to bring bring out of Afghanistan, how we get them out of Kabul. And my, uh, cities, by the way, it's not just Kabul; it's Mazar, it's it's Jalalabad, it's it's Herat. How how do we get our folks uh, out of those cities as well? I'm talking with Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor to the President, old dear friend of mine, former law partner of mine, though I'm retired from the law now and he's back at it. I would add uh, that when he was National Security Advisor. Uh, Ambassador O'Brien would tell me very little, and I, I don't expect that anybody is talking to him that shouldn't be talking to him right now. So what follows is simply his advice on what is going to happen, uh, ought to happen, not uh, anything in the White House. His national security team is, is gone. But, in fact, I think it's, it goes to show numbers don't equal competence, Mr. Ambassador. You had cut the National Security Council down significantly. It's grown again. Well, look, what, what I said when I came into office is that we really wanted to follow the French Scowcroft model of, of running the National Security Council. And that was, uh, you know, one, one deputy, uh, a lean staff. Uh, Connie Rice came and spoke with me early on in my tenure, and she had 108 policy professionals uh, handling Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and the rest of the world. We thought that was the number we should get to. It had become very bloated under the Obama administration. So we, we actually got to that number. Uh, we had a record number of, of principal and deputies committee meetings. But, but the point of those meetings was to come up with plans of action. It wasn't meetings for meetings' sake. And uh, Fried Zakaria and others have, have criticized the, uh, the current administration. I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to criticize Jake and how he's running the NSC. But uh, the, the, the point of the meetings is to get to, to decisions. It's not to keep you know, talking about an issue ad nauseum. And so, um, you know, we, we had a lot of, with, a, with a relatively lean staff. Uh, we got a lot done. We got Project Warp Speed done. We got the ventilators built on COVID. We got the Chinese travel ban uh, done. We changed the bipartisan consensus on China. We got the Abraham Accords done. We got the Serbia-Kosovo economic normalization done. We got the peace deal done between uh, uh, Turkey and, and the Kurds. Uh, uh, so there was just a, uh, you know, we, we took care of uh, uh, finishing up the ISIS caliphate. We brought justice to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. I mean, the, the, the amount of things that we got done with a, a, a lean professional staff, I think, uh, spoke to the uh, the value of what how Brent Scowcroft had run the, the NSC and, and, and our uh, efforts to follow what he'd done. We didn't have you know, five or six deputies. We didn't have a bunch of super directors. We didn't you know, above the senior director level. We just tried to have a very lean uh, staff focused on action and, and accomplishment. Uh, but, but again, you know, Democrats didn't have a bigger uh, national security staff. Republicans have a leaner staff. It works for us, and uh, you know, hopefully that you know, however it's being run now is uh, is going to work for the American people. Now that we're in this crisis, we need to get out of it. And we need to keep uh, uh, the leaders in, in the White House and uh, and our soldiers, sailors, and our Marines in our prayers because this is a uh, this is not just a partisan issue. We've got this is a, a real credibility blow to the United States of America. And we've got to we've got to get through this evacuation and salvage uh, what we can out of it. Before you became 
National Security Advisor. You were the president's special envoy for hostage affairs. You mentioned there are Americans all over Afghanistan. You were part of the Rule of Law Project. You visited all over Afghanistan. You've been to Jalalabad. You've been to these various cities. Do you fear that there are already hostages having been taken? Do you fear that the Haqqani Network, which is as allied with al-Qaeda, has got insurance policies and we just don't know about them yet? And how difficult will it be to get anyone out once we leave? Well, it's always getting getting hostages out is very difficult. And it's, it's if you take the military option and, and military rescue off the table when you're dealing with hostages, it makes it it, it increases the level of uh, complexity for for getting hostages out. We know the Haqqani's already have one hostage, Mark Freericks, uh, who we were negotiating to try and get get back and uh, uh, looking at opportunities to rescue him. Uh, uh, look, I don't want to speculate as to whether there there are. Americans are being held as insurance policy. I, I don't know, and I, I don't know what's happening on the ground. Uh, that, that's something that the, the current administration would be aware of. So I don't want to get into that speculation game, but I, but I am uh, concerned about uh, uh, whether hostages will be taken. The Haqqanis have had a long history with the Coleman Boyle family and others of, of taking American hostages. And so it's, uh, we, we need to maintain a military presence in Afghanistan until the last American's home, because if we, if we take that uh, option off the table. It's extraordinarily difficult to negotiate to uh, to get these hostages home from from the right. Specific specific steps to take. Uh, I am assuming you would not have withdrawn sixteen thousand contractors or closed Bagram before civilians were out. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go over that unless you want to. But I'd like to know what specifically the United States should do to rebuild credibility in the world. Well, one of the things that. Uh, you know, I was with John Radcliffe over the weekend, our former director of national intelligence. We we kind of looked at this. We looked at what the Chinese were doing in, in Taiwan. And, and we've got to start thinking about how we rebuild American credibility. And we, we want to do it. We, we thought, what are, what are some things that could be done on a bipartisan basis that would have, you know, really universal support in the country? And uh, and focusing on the Indo-Pacific, number one, uh, the, the Taiwanese have ordered a lot of arms from us, and, and we've sold, we approved those arms sales in the Trump administration. The, the Biden administration has been has been good on that issue and uh, has continued that policy. So we want to speed up arms deliveries to Taiwan. So if if they're, you know, customer number eight at, at uh, a defense contractor, uh, we need to sit down with those defense contractors and move them up the the list, the delivery list, to make sure they're getting their the equipment they need to defend themselves to deter the Chinese immediately, and that, that might even involve taking, you know, platforms and weapons out of out of the American stockpiles, getting them to Taiwan now, and then replenishing them when the when the the equipment the Taiwanese have ordered and paid for uh, come up. So that that's number one. Number two, you know, one of the things that we talked about in the Trump administration, it's one of the things the Biden administration has talked about, and I support, is the idea that we're going to, as we withdraw from Afghanistan, we're going to redeploy troops and assets to Asia Pacific, we really need to make sure that's not just a talking point. And so when we take a lot of these battle-hardened troops of ours who performed so well for so many years in Afghanistan, and when we pull them out, we need to put them in places like uh, Guam and Robertson Barracks and in uh, Darwin, Australia, in the Aleutian Islands and Hawaii, uh, in, in the American territories, the uh, Commonwealth of Northern Mariana Islands. We need to make sure that we actually take some of that combat power and put it in in the Asia-Pacific region, Indo-Pacific region, uh, to deter the Chinese. Uh, third, uh, we have a compact of free association with the, the island nations of Palau, Marshall Islands, and the Federated States of Micronesia, which basically means we run their foreign policy and their defense. We need to renew that compact. It's up for renewal. The negotiations aren't going anywhere, uh, partly because the post office wants more money to deliver mail there. That's a small cost. we got to get the post office paid. You know, We don't want our mail car- carriers uh, 
going into debt, but we need to make sure we can deliver mail to these islands. But that compact gives us access, military access, to a vast swath, swath of the Pacific Ocean. You know, we need to get that done. So those are those are three of the things that we can do and move out on immediately. Uh, you would think there would be support with uh, within the Biden administration for that. Uh, and, and there's some other steps we can take as well. Uh, but what, what John and I were looking to do was was point out a path of how do we, you know, quietly, confidently, and uh, send a message to the Chinese that notwithstanding what's happening in Afghanistan, uh, America's you know, retaining its leadership role and, and start rebuilding credibility, especially with our allies in, in the Indo-Pacific region. Last question, Mr. Ambassador, if you could, if you could advise the president on what to say in a public speech. I would advise him to warn the Taliban that we are staying as long as is possible to get our people out. And if they interfere, we'll be back in force. But what would you advise him to say in any in his next televised appearance? Because what he has said thus far has had the opposite of increasing confidence in America. Well, look, the uh, the president and his team have access to the intel of what's happening on the ground. But you know, what's always worked in international affairs and national security, going back to Roman times, this is not uh, uh, any any you know, great insight, is that peace through strength works. And President Reagan showed that. Uh, President Trump showed that. Uh, we need to be projecting strength and not weakness. And uh, and one way to project strength would be to, to absolutely, let, as you state, uh, let the Taliban, uh, let ISIS and al-Qaeda and the others that are regrouping in, in Afghanistan uh, know that, look, the United States of America is not leaving until we're coming home with all of our citizens. And I think the next thing he needs to do is along the lines of what um, Director Radcliffe and I wrote in our op-ed, which was, was meant to be a, a bipartisan roadmap and not, not a, a partisan attack, is to say, look, American leadership, uh, our credibility may have suffered. Uh, you know, there, there were mistakes made in how we did this withdrawal, uh, but that doesn't mean that America is going away from the world stage. We're moving uh, uh, dramatically and significantly uh, forward in the Indo-Pacific region, working with the Quad, with our allies in India, Australia, Japan, uh, other allies, treaty allies in the in the region, Thailand and, and the Philippines, uh, sovereign nations like Vietnam that don't want to be under the Chinese boot. And, uh, you know, we're going to be in the Arctic. We're going to be in the Antarctic. We're going to be, uh, you know, we're going to put a Coast Guard cutter, for example, in American Samoa. American Samoa. I mean, it's amazing. We've got an American territory with 50,000 Americans. And they don't have a Coast Guard cutter in uh, in Samoa to protect them from illegal, unreported, and unregulated Chinese fishing. Uh, we're going to put a Coast Guard cutter in Samoa. I mean, there there are things that we can do uh, that are that demonstrate American confidence and demonstrate American leadership. And we need to move out on those things. They can't be subject to to rounds and rounds and rounds of, of deputies committee and, and and PCC meetings at the NSC and the, the Pentagon. We have to move out and show American leadership so that folks know, notwithstanding what's happened in Afghanistan, uh, that, that America is there and we're going to be behind our allies around the rest of the world. Mr. Ambassador, thanks for your time. I know you've been working behind the scenes on behalf of some of the, the people that you know in Afghanistan. Good luck in those efforts as well. Thank you for joining me. I want to remind you that our sponsor is AndrewandTodd.com. There with Sierra Pacific. They lend you money to refinance your house or buy a home or help your son or daughter become investors in real estate by becoming a non-occupying co-borrower. They help senior citizens with reverse mortgage. They help veterans with no money down mortgages. They help you refinance. So if you need to get money out of your house or you need a whole new house, go to andrewandtodd.com or call them at 888 1172 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.